So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspirations, being produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this, the 10th of December, it's the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. Maybe also uh, mention good evening to people who listen to us, who are listeners, because really, uh, from what I hear, there's not a lot of people listen to us every evening at 11pm of a Sunday evening. But in the meantime, thank you all indeed for, for joining us. My name is John Keeley. Help me to produce and present the programme that we're to present the programme this morning. It's Shane Ambrose. Good morning to you, Shane. Good morning, John. How are we doing? Very good. Thanks a lot for joining me. And also a special guest we've got inside the studio here with us here in Ada this morning is Father Dan Carroll, who's a member of the Salesian uh, community here in Palace Gennery, and he's going to speak to us a little bit more about the Salesians and the celebration, the centenary celebrations happening this year. Good morning to you, Father Dan. How are you? Very well, John. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. Thanks, Father Dan, for joining us. And, of course, we also want to uh, welcome especially those listeners who are housebound, lonely, struggling in some way, listeners who support us each week in prayer. Thank you so much for staying with us. And this morning, uh, as we've just outlined, we'll also have Father Dan uh, join us in part two to learn a little bit more about the Salesians and the great work they do. So our programme is broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limit 102 Local Radio at 11pm, at 10am and 11pm each Sunday. And it's available for playback and download and come and see inspirations.buzzsprout.com. If you just go onto Google and Google come and see inspirations, you'll find us there. And also our blog, which is sacredspace102.blogspot.com. Again, if you Google sacredspace102, you'll find us. And also we are available, uh, our programmes are now available on Spotify. Again, if you're an account holder with Spotify, again, just search Come and See Inspirations. As usual, our programme will include Saints for the Week. Shane will share with us in a few seconds. And in part two, we'll have um, Father Dan, as I said, will we'll share with us about the work of the solutions. And in part three, most important part of any programme we do here in Sacred Space is when we read and reflect on the Sunday Gospel. So if you want to contact us at all, uh, pass on a message, uh, text us a request, you can do that by uh, text us or WhatsApp us, and that's an 87 That's 87 You can email us, and that's in sacredspace, 102 at gmail.com. Shane, at this part of the program, you might let us know who, who might be the saints for the week we might look out for, please. Sure, John, no problem. So, as John said, folks... Today is the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. It's hard to believe we are two Sundays out from the Feast of Christ the King and the end of the liturgical year. So for those of us praying the Psalter, we're on week four, um, and obviously it's the 32nd week in Ordinary Time. Now, so uh, today would be the feast day of St. Leo the Great, but obviously as it's a Sunday, he's not celebrated this year. Uh, So tomorrow then, Monday the 11th, we're looking at a great French saint, Martin of Tours. Very popular saint, especially during the medieval period. Lived around 300, the 300s AD, a bishop of Tours. Uh, num- and is a patron saint of France, soldiers, beggars and innkeepers. Now, where the soldiers and beggars bit comes in is that it was associated, always associated with St. Martin of Tours, that he was a soldier and that uh, maybe even a Roman legionary. And one of the days he was traveling along and he saw a beggar along the side of the road and he cut his cloak in half to share it with the beggar. So like I said, a very popular saint during the Middle Ages so far and his feast day is on Monday the 11th. Now, Tuesday the 12th is one of these unusual ones. It's the feast day of a guy called St. Jehoshaphat. And, or jo- Josephat even. 
He is a medieval saint, 1580 1623. And the interesting thing about it is this is a saint of what we call an Orthodox Church in communion with Rome. So he is associated very much with the Ukrainian Catholic Orthodox Church, which is a church that is Orthodox in liturgy and governance and the way they celebrate and do everything like that. But they are in communion with Rome. And he was murdered, actually. He's a martyr for the faith. Uh, by those who opposed the unity that was brought about between the church in the what is now the Ukraine and the, and the, the see of Saint uh, the see of Saint Peter uh, brought about by Rome. So he's an interesting one. He's a saint probably that we should pray for, particularly for unity in the churches. As Pope John Paul II always used to say, the church needs to breathe with both, with both lungs, both east and west. Now the thirteenth of November. Now this is an interesting one, John. I nearly got myself caught up here. So officially on the U.S. calendar, it's the feast day of St. Francis Xavier Cabrini. Now, she is an Italian immigrant saint, uh, one of the first um, citizens of the United States that was canonized, if you will. She was very much involved with supporting the Italian migrant community. And one of the reasons why I picked on her today is because she's back in the news, because there is a political dispute in New York between New York City and New York State about the erection of a statue to Francis Cabrini. And basically the city turned around and said no, despite the fact that when they asked the public, it was her name that came to the top of the list. And then the state turned around, the governor turned around and said, well, actually, we'll put the statue up. So now there's a big tit for tat between New York City and Albany about the statue to, Saint, to Mother Cabrini, as she's called. The other interesting thing on the 13th of November, now... When I went looking this one up, John, uh, usually, as you know, I go first and try and find, do we have any Irish uh, calendar people to talk about? So be they blessings or saints. And initially, when I went looking, I thought I had found one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight of them. And I thought, ooh, we have a whole load of blessings. But actually, I, well, the site I was looking for it was actually incorrect. They're not yet blessings, but I think um, we should acknowledge them on the day. So the 13th of November, 1581, is the date in question, and it saw the execution in Dublin of eight lay, lay persons for being Roman Catholic. And they were David Sutton, John Sutton, Morris Eustace, Thomas Eustace, Christopher Eustace, William Wogan, Robert Fitzgerald, and Robert Surlock. And these are counted as some of the martyrs, the Irish martyrs, whose cause is pending with Rome. So their, their cause for canonization is pending for Rome with Rome. And I suppose one of the things we should remember is we actually have about 260 people whose story and death is being investigated by Rome and whether or not they're going to be declared um, saints or martyrs of the church. Uh, so that's all progressing at the moment. Of course, the last big series of martyrs we had in the Irish church was in 1992 when Pope John Paul II canonized 17 Irish martyrs who were bishops, priests and lay people as well. So we'll just wait and see how that, because I understand that the cause for those martyrs has been progressing because it's in the care of the Dublin Archdiocese. Thursday, the 14th, we have the feast day of Lawrence O'Toole, one of the officially canonised Irish saints, uh, and then who's actually gone through the actual process of canonisation with Rome. Associated with County Kildare, born there in 1123, studied at Glendalough, uh, became a monk in Glendalough Monastery, and later its abbot. And then he was chosen as the first Irish native Archbishop of Dublin. 
Uh, he was very much involved with the reforms uh, of St. Malachy of Armagh, who we spoke about a couple of weeks ago. And he was also, he attended the Lateran Council in Rome in 1179. And returning on the way, he, ha- he was also appointed the papal legate. Now, you'll be saying to yourself, why is St. Lawrence O'Toole's name ringing bells? The reason is, a couple of years ago, people might remember that his heart, which was held in a reliquary at Christchurch Cathedral in Dublin, was stolen. And then after a period of time, the guards recovered it in the Phoenix Park in Dublin. Now, the other interesting thing, John, about Lawrence O'Toole is the fact that Lawrence O'Toole was the person who requested the Pope to make Christ Church Cathedral a cathedral in Dublin City. So from a historic point of view, the cathedral of the city and the diocese of Dublin is Christ Church Cathedral. Now, obviously, as we know, that is now a Church of Ireland cathedral uh, because it was taken in the Reformation. So that's why we have what's called the pro-cathedral, uh, which is the Catholic cathedral in Dublin City today. So the pro is not a proper full cathedral, if you like. Um, but in reverence and in devotion to St. Lawrence O'Toole, because he was the one that set up Christ Church, the Archbishops of Dublin have never asked for the pro-cathedral to be fully elevated as a cathedral for the city of Dublin. Now, Friday the 15th is the feast day of St. Albert the Great, a great Dominican theologian uh, who taught in Cologne and is known as the Universal Doctor. He's a bishop and doctor of the church, hugely involved with theology, and he's also, of course, the patron saint of scientists. Now, as far as I can remember, Albert the Great was also one of the teachers of Thomas Aquinas. Then finally, on Saturday, we have the feast day of St. Margaret of Scotland, Queen of Malcolm III, and helped by her example and influence to reform the church, and she died in 1093. Also, we have the feast day of St. Gertrude, Benedictine nun, and she had huge devotion to the Sacred Heart, and she advocated frequent communion. In addition to which, of course, there's also the prayer of St. Gertrude for the holy souls in purgatory, and it's a great tradition that's come down from the Middle Ages, whereby recitation of the prayer, because uh, it would lead to the release of souls from purgatory. So that's just associated with St. Gertrude, and she died in 1302. So, John, that's what we have in terms of celestial guides for this week. Thanks, Shane. You certainly went through the through the centuries there. You went through from the 4th century right the way through to the 16th century, and even beyond that. Thank you very much indeed, Shane. Okay, just before uh, this little reflection that I, I just want to recite this morning, but just before that, uh, just a, one little notice that I want to just bring to people's attention. Um, there's an Advent retreat. The, ad, the annual Advent retreat uh, will take place on Saturday the 30th of November in the Advent Retreat Centre. Bus leave in the church park, car park in Newcastle West at 8.15. It'll be back again at 5.30. Please book your place as soon as possible by giving your name and telephone number into the sacristy there in Newcastle West Parish Office, which is 069-61816. 069-61816. That's for the Advent Retreat from Newcastle West uh, to Advert 8.15 that day till 5.30. Been on it a number of times myself and Anne. It's a beautiful day to take out just at the start of Advent. Now, I just want to um, just recite a little reflection I picked up there recently and this one again was penned by uh, Father Terence Harrington I picked it up in Knox Rhyme and this one is entitled Why Worry? Worry is the cause of many of the world's problems and it can be a warning sign that God is not first in my life at this point in time a day of worrying is more exhausting than a day of hard work nothing wastes more energy than worrying it's a total waste of time and it's useless Worry can damage your health. 
It can raise your blood pressure, cause depression, increase your stress levels and give you sleepless nights. It can be a slow killer. There's no pill you can take to stop you worrying. There's no seminar or book or CD. The answer is to put God in control of your life. Trust him. Let tomorrow to God. Don't cross bridges until you reach them. Don't open your umbrella until it starts raining. Hand over everything to God, yourself, your problems, your plans and health, everything. Surrender and abandon yourself to him. Surrender your family to him. Your future is in God's hands, and in God's hands, you're in safe hands. Trust him, and all will be well. Easier said than done. It may take time, but it works. That just leads us into our first bit of music. Maybe ideal. It's from Margaret Ritzer from A Music for Healing, and this one is entitled Calm Me Lord.
So welcome back again to the second part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined uh, by Shan Ambrose on the other end of the Skype line. And again, Father Dan is still with us here in studio. Father Dan Carroll, Salesian. And Father Dan is going to lead us in to, to some reflections, maybe, and some information on the Salesians here in Ireland. Shane, um, where would you like to start having a chat with Father Dan? Because I know you, you've been thinking about this programme for a few weeks, so... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I suppose we've been trying to we've try, trying to get a day which suited everyone because, of course, um, Salesians. For I suppose for most people in West Limerick, the Salesians and the name of the Salesians will be associated very much with Palace Kinnery and with the school in Copswood. For our listeners in the city, it's probably much more associated with the Good Sisters and their the school that they had um, that they have even. Uh, in, in in the city. So we, we were looking for Father Dan to come on the programme because, of course, this year, the Salesians in Ireland mark a very particular uh, anniversary because it is the centenary, the 100th anniversary of their first arrival in Ireland, which happens to be in Limerick in 1919. And so, Father Dan, you, you've been busy celebrating 100 years. Yes, we've been celebrating. Uh, uh, um, we have, Shane. Um we last eighth uh, of December of two thousand and eighteen, we began formally with a, a mass, and uh, many invited people, past pupils, people connected with the Salesians uh, in Palace Kinnery. And since then, we've uh, there have been a few things happening. The rector major, uh, this is what we call the man who who is the current successor of Saint John Bosco, the founder of the Salesians. He's a Spanish man, Ankel uh, Artemis Fernandez. Uh, he visited uh, uh, the country in February and visited all the different Salesian communities. And, uh, uh, you know, it was, it was a big drive in terms of animating and encouraging us and uh, 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 trying to get us to go, to go forward and confidence the future. And it was also very, a very uh, joyful and happy occasion. Uh, and uh, that was the, the, the really big thing. Um, we, at, at, on that occasion as well, we got a, a video uh, which was kind of expressing and talking about the history of the Salesians in Ireland and uh, Salesians who are still alive and remember the early days uh, are taking part in that. So it's an effort to try to um, understand uh, what the Salesians have done and been involved in uh, in the country. And uh, yeah, before, yeah. before we go down that route, yeah. I suppose let's back up a step a second and ask the question, for people that might not know, so who are the Salesians and where did they come from? The Salesians, are, uh, we're a worldwide congregation at the moment in about 132 countries throughout the world. Uh, the, the, we call the movement of the congregation itself was started by uh, St. John Bosco, is now St. John Bosco, in Turin, in, in, in Italy, formerly in 1859, but really he started it, uh, his work in 1841. Uh, and that year he was ordained a priest I went to do a pastoral course in Turin to prepare himself for the years ahead in the ministry, in the, in the priestly ministry. And he got very quickly got in contact with the vast problem of youth, the abandoned youth uh, in Turin at that time. There was a major problem. The prisons were full of, uh, of uh, young people who had come from the country. It, it seems from about 1780 onwards that the amount of employment offered by farmers and the traditional skills and so forth were dying. They weren't meeting the demand, shall we put it like that. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, it was a time, of course, when 14 and 15 year olds from that on did not go to school. So they either were looking for employment if their fathers couldn't offer them to local farmers or went into trades. And since these were declining, 
they went to the cities in, in northern Italy. And in Turin in particular, large numbers went, but the, the city was not able to respond to the great needs and a great social problem uh, arose. Apparently, from 1814 to about 1844, the population of that town, that city grew by something like 60%, and the essential growth came from the very large number of young people uh, who often had nobody to guide them, to direct them, and, as I said already, immense problems. And John Bosco, he was immensely touched by the whole thing and uh, gradually got to know them more and more and then the 8th of December of 1841 is kind of seen as a key date. Obviously, sorry, the 6th of December, I should say, uh, the, uh, is seen as the, as, the, as the key date when he uh, met this boy and uh, he spoke to him. Uh, this boy had turned up, uh, apparently, in the sacristy. Matthew Gorelli, is, we're told, is his name. And um, the sacristan asked him, can you, can you read, can you do this, and can you do what? He could do nothing. And he, he, uh, he put him scurrying out of the, the sacristy as fast as possible. But John Bosco went after them, had a chat with him, prayed with him, and then he told uh, he told Matthew that he would be back next Sunday and to come back and meet him and to bring his friends, and he brought some friends, and from there on, kind of John Bosco's uh, congregation or John Bosco's work initially uh, began to develop, and as I said in 1859, uh, it was formally started when a, a number of young men uh, took vows to be members of his congregation in his presence in Turin. Okay. So then, um, I suppose the next thing was from 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 your perspective is of course a decision was made to come to Ireland in yes. 1919. First of all, was Don Bosco still alive at that stage? No, no, he okay. he, 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 died. he he died in uh, 1888. Okay. So then, when the decision was made to come in Ireland in 1919, what prompted you to come to Ireland, and how on earth did the Salesians end up in Limerick? And then, I suppose the next question is, how did you end up in Palace Kinrick? How do I, yeah, yeah. Uh, they, um, when he died in '88, uh, a man called Don Rua became his first successor, and under Don Rua's pay, uh, pay, uh, leadership, the congregation spread quite widely throughout Europe. They already had come to England, and from England they kind of moved to Ireland, and uh, the notion was to uh, spread spread the congregation. Get the, uh, there would have been a particular interest as well in vocations. But also to to bring the charism which John Bosco had passed on uh, was was a very very important point. Um, the then Bishop of Limerick, a man called Bishop Hallinan, had apparently met John Bosco in Turin and expressed a wish to uh, to work with John Bosco. But John Bosco has, has, has told him to come home and that you will you will do a lot of work for me in Ireland. And uh, uh, then eventually. Uh, the Salesians began to come thought about and were planning to come to Ireland and they eventually connected with Bishop Hallinan who directed him to Palace Kinry. Yeah. Uh, uh, I think it was seen that there were a lot of other, a lot of congregations involved in different work, different social work of varying kinds but that there was a great need for somebody to work in the area of skills in particular in the area of agriculture. Mm-hmm. So uh, uh, they were encouraged and they started a, 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 an agricultural college in Palace Kinry which would have been very consistent with the work which John Bosco started because what he did really was initially was to bring uh, young people into his uh, into his oratories, it was called, and gave them skills in any way he could provide them skills so that they could uh, get back into life and mm. uh, become uh, what he called good citizens or normal people. And at that, he was very successful. 
Okay, so you're right. So, so it was. So actually, what you started in Coffswood was actually the agricultural college, and then that's correct. It, yeah. progressed, it progressed, if you like, to the secondary school. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, how many, how many, how many, how I say, how many students have passed through the gates of the agricultural college? Would you have any idea? Off the top oh, of your head? I have no idea, really. That eight hundred a year at the moment, but I believe it or not, but. Uh, uh, for many years, I think it would probably be down to 40, 50, the new one probably 200, 150. So okay. if you were to take, say, uh, 100 years by 100, uh, that might be some sort of a guess, you know, but uh, I, yeah. I, I, I I, don't really know how many would have passed. No, no, that's fair enough. That's that's fair enough. And I suppose in terms of so the, the, the solution, the solutions arrived, they started in Copswood. But obviously you've spread throughout, um, you spread throughout the country, if you like. So in terms of in terms of ministries that the solutions are involved in today um, across across the country. So, for example, I know that the solutions have the parish of Our Lady Help of Christians yeah, yeah, in Milford yeah, yeah. and they work in the, uh, the, 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 the chaplaincy yeah. at the University of Limerick. What other what other ministries are you involved with? Well, we'll be basically in our schools now. It's more at the chaplaincy levels. We would be we would be involved in. Uh, we're also trying to a lot of us are involved in putting in, in, in establishing the Salesian ethos and traditions in schools. And uh, then in Dublin, there are, are there are the, what are known as the homes for homeless, Don Bosco homes, in uh, working from uh, Sean McDermott Street. That's been going on since about 1981, I think it is. Mm-hmm. And you have uh, quite a number of, uh, of youngsters who stay in the Salesian set up there and then uh, come about 18, if need be, they're facilitated with uh, a place to stay and, and, and move on. There have been wonderful successes there. So prison chaplaincy would have been a, would have been a work. Um, we've been doing a lot of mission work. I myself would probably be doing a lot more mission work from 1st of January on, uh, promoting, uh, supporting the missions, the Salesian missions throughout the world. Uh, and... Uh, um, uh, uh, also media work a little bit of media work uh, uh, again that will be seen as a core part of a worldwide core part of a, of a Salesian apostolate mm-hmm. uh, Salesian Bulletin is a magazine which will be will be produced in that, in that regard um, what else um, uh, in, in Ireland so, yeah go ahead yeah, yeah so, so, so wide 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 and varied ministries if you like yes very varied um, ministries yeah 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 that's right and yeah, no, that's okay. And in terms of, I suppose, the congregation in Ireland as it stands at the moment, um, how many of you? How many of you would there be? Uh, things in the region is seventy, and okay. but we're uh, we're uh, we're uh, top heavy on the on the on the elderly side, uh, which which is kind well, of that's, like the that's reality for most congregations. Yeah, yes, yes, say. yes. But do you have do you have anybody in formation? Uh, yeah, there are people coming into the country uh, from other Salesian countries. Uh, last year, is a, in in two thousand eighteen, two Vietnamese uh, young men were ordained priests for the Salesian province in Ireland. They had come about seven years before that and studied English and studied theology in Maynooth. Uh, at the moment, we have uh, uh, some people who are from Poland. And then uh, recently, uh, a man from East Timor became a Salesian, and he's studying in Maynooth, uh, uh, as are, uh, I think it's two more people as well. So this is what's going on. This is what's going on in many of our Salesian provinces in Europe. He's that from other countries such as Poland, Vietnam, uh, Nigeria, Angola, um, uh, people are coming, uh, being encouraged to go on the missions, and they're coming to us, which is a change, obviously, because 
many Salesian missionaries went to uh, to India, South America, and Africa. So now we're we're experiencing it from a different perspective. Well, yeah, that's true. Oh, globally, how is how is the congregation doing? Is it growing? Uh, I suppose it depends on how one, how one defines growing. Uh, uh, in Asia. The Asian countries, uh, I've been mentioned Vietnam, India, Philippines, the numbers, there would be a, a large number of, of, of novices there and uh, it would be growing just in numbers, but also in the work they're doing, tremendous, mm-hmm. extraordinary work in some places for um, for, for, for poor and uh, uh, marginalised people. Africa mm-hmm. too is getting quite a good number of vocations, but a massive drop in Europe, uh, uh, South America, Australia and uh, they are getting some vocation things in the United States, but I'm not up to date with regard to what kind of numbers and how they compare with the past. Mm. That's, that's, that's and in the, terms of, I suppose, in terms of the, the you know, the Salesian congregation, Father Dan, like, you know, you're celebrating 100 years in Ireland. And obviously, as a congregation, you'd like to still be around to continue the work on the cars yeah, yeah, yeah. on Bosco. But I suppose if you were, if you were, you know, we've been kind of, if you like, we've been very um, academic in terms of talk about numbers and, and mm. what, the ministries that are involved. But if I was to say to you this morning, what does it mean to be a Salesian? What way would you think you could respond to that? Because obviously being a Salesian, while you'll have a congregational response, each Salesian will have their own um, mm-hmm. understanding of that as well. Yeah, but yeah. So if I was to say to you this morning, Father Dan, what does it mean to you to be a Salesian in Ireland today? Uh, it's to be a person of faith, so first of all. Uh, also to be a person who is trying to uh, reimagine the charism of the gift which John Bosco uh, was blessed with and has passed on to us, which is ba- which is essentially um, a, for the evangelisation and the education of young people, in particular those poor and those who are, who are marginalised. And I suppose for me, uh, in the current times, what it would be that I'm part of a, of a community, the part of a community of Salesian brothers who are working together uh, in the spirit of not just John Bosco, but the spirit of St. Francis de Sales, because that's where the Salesian, the term Salesian comes from. Uh, I was just going to ask you that, actually. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, yeah. St. John Bosco was immensely impressed by the gentleness and the kindness of uh, of Francis de Sales, and he uh, uh, wanted to make sure his Salesians were were very much in that spirit. Uh, and maybe we'll maybe come back to the word spirit, the John Bosco spirit, uh, in a moment. But that would be it, you know, and. Uh, uh, John Bosco was a man for whom uh, um, the young people, these marginalised young people, whom nobody didn't seem to take care of, whom they dearly loved and dearly cherished, and there are many, many examples of that. Uh, so one of the famous ones would be uh, in 1846 when he was near death because of, um, I think it was more or less pneumonia, and there wasn't a whole lot of hope. And they prayed and they prayed and they prayed in their in their turns and uh, were really concerned. And uh, he made he made this extraordinary recovery. Uh, there are other instances as well, but he was a man who was uh, uh, his presence made this profound impact. And really, as a Salesian in Ireland, I think uh, uh, ensuring that kind of humanity, that having that humanity that invites, that raises curiosity, and that uh, lets people know, let young people know that. Uh, they're loved and cherished by God uh, and uh, uh, that uh, the love of God is incarnate in me or all, th- all those who work with it, whether they're lay people or, or priests or whatever. Mm. Now you spoke there about, the, I suppose, I think you said it was the spirit of Don yeah, Bosco. Yeah, of course, yeah. that also links in 
very much to it's like there's a Salesian family if you like yeah yeah there is, uh, yeah, there is it's yeah. just it's not just yourselves the, the fathers and the brothers but there's the, the Salesian sisters although their proper title is uh, Sisters of Our Lady Help of Christians that's right yeah known as that familiar yeah, that, yeah, yeah that's right you have, you have the various in, in fact people. in fact Shane there are there's a whole lot of uh, congregations which have sprung up with the spirit of John Bosco I actually can't think of the number of them but it's quite big mm-hmm. and and in terms of, I suppose, in, in in terms of it, like what 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 you you were saying, what what does that mean? Like this kind of you know the spirit of Don Bosco. I suppose the way I explain it is maybe is when he started his work in 1841, he started up what was a what was known as an oratory, but a youth centre really, where initially they were coming turning up every week, and eventually then they were turning up every day, and uh, it became even a place where they lived in. But it is described as a as a place first of all that welcomed. That no matter what the person's record was or who they came, they were welcomed and felt welcomed. And he did it even when he was visiting in the prisons. There are extraordinary stories told about how he filled his pockets with sweets and cakes and cigarettes to cheer them up and to win to win them over because they, these were these were very very broken young people. And uh, welcoming them was one thing. Uh, it was also a place that educated them. Uh, in other words, gave them skills. Some of the skills sound very very simple to us today and. Many of those skills would be dead, but they it gave them the confidence in themselves, and they were able to take that place in society. It was also a place uh, where uh, the word of God was made known, evangelized, uh, uh, and uh, uh, he was very successful in, in doing that. And it was also a place where they made where they where his community was built. They made friends, as is how we describe it, and it lasted for life. So, so it was it was this was the spirit that it was. Uh, it was in the welcoming, in the creating of an environment which was happy and joyful, and uh, uh, where, where, you, where young people in, in, with, with many issues felt comfortable and were transformed. Mm. In terms of, uh, you know, you, we were talking there about the about the Salesian family, and of course, you know, this is this is the this is the month of November. So one of the things we've been reflecting on the program is the fact that our families are not just those around us, but those who have mm. passed on mm-hmm. that might be in heaven or in purgatory, whichever the case might be. So from a Salesian perspective, I suppose, our, well, when we, when we have people on from a congregation, one of the things I ask them is, what about the heavenly family? What are your saints like? Our saints? <laughs> yeah, we've collected a few. Uh, we're a bit too young to have too many. St. John Bosco is obviously one of them. Uh, uh, St. Dominic Savio is, I suppose, a very important one because he he was with John Bosco in his archery for only about two years and he died very, very young. But he was this young person who apparently uh, was very inspirational, um, did everything to make sure that, that the oratory and all those there were happy uh, and greeting. And, and uh, at the same time, he had this profound faith. But he picked up an illness, which many of them did at that time. There were no hospitals and no medical care, and he died very young. But he's been made a saint. Uh, St. Mm-hmm. Mary Mazzarella, of course, well, the founder of the Asian Sisters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, now, I, w- I wanted to ask you about one in particular. I wanted to ask about Mama Margaret. Oh, yeah, Ma- yeah, John Bosco's yeah. mother, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Because she was involved with supporting him in his work and also with looking after some of the boys in Turin, wasn't she? That's correct, yeah, that's correct. She, well, she seems to be a marvellous woman because... Uh, her her husband, uh, uh, John uh, John Bosco's father, died when he was about two years of age. So and and that man had already been married and had a stepson. So she was left with uh, three three boys to raise, which she did under difficult and very difficult circumstances. Mm-hmm. Um, John Bosco's 
John Bosco came from a poverty background, which made being a priest extremely difficult. You needed a good, few, a good bit of cash and support to become a priest. So she did amazing work to support him. Uh, uh, and eventually, after great difficulties, became a priest in 1841. And then mm. uh, I mentioned 1846 when he got his great illness. He got him at his terrible illness. He had to go back home to her for a few months to recover his strength. And then he asked her to come with him to the to the oratory. And uh, it's recognised like that uh, her influence was extraordinary because she brought uh, she brought the motherly influence, the gentle influence which so many of these boys needed because they didn't have it. Many of them were the children of, uh, of uh, many, many uh, who both parents had died, uh, a whole lot of issues. And uh, she also seemed to be a calming influence in John Bosco because he was very idealistic and often didn't have his feet in the ground. But, right, she, okay. but the, the stories are extraordinary, really. She was the first volunteer, I suppose you could say, to the Salesians, mm-hmm. but she, in a very powerful way, uh, created this homely uh, spirit, which uh, um, which is what we we really are challenged to uh, build and create wherever there are Salesian centres in the world at this point in time. In terms of of um, in terms of I suppose saints associated with the congregation, you mentioned obviously that uh, Don Bosco had a great uh, devotion to Francis de Sales, yeah. but as well as that, of course, the congregation has uh, Our Lady Help of Christians as their patroness. Yeah, Mary Help of Christians. I nearly forgot Mary Help of Christians. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> and you have a, you, you kind of got the Basilica in Turin. It's kind of a big one. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's a big one. Yeah, yeah. John Bosco. He had his dream at nine years of age, and in this dream, um, it was it was shown to him uh, there was this field where there were these wild animals going wild, and he couldn't figure it out, and all the rest of it. Then a voice began to speak to him and said, you're going to shape these people. And uh, then suddenly in the dream again, they appeared to him as people. And how is this going to be possible? And this lady appeared in the dream in marvelous clothes and all the rest of it. She's going to direct you. So he understood that as he grew into maturity, that that was the mother of God. And he uh, has he he was he he said that very clearly it was the Mary, the mother of God, was the one who directed him and who was leading him always. And he sensed that what God was calling to us to to uh, uh, honor her with the title Mary Help of Christians. So that's our Mary, that Mary Help of Christians, pray for us. That's the region prayer come, comes from. Towards the end of the life, he, when he was reflecting back on what happened, he said that had he had much more faith in Mary, he would have achieved a lot more than he did. Uh, towards the end of his life, then he built this church for Mary Help of Christians, uh, this massive church. In fact, he built two churches really at the end of his life because he, he had to help out the Vatican to building a church uh, in Rome at the Stazione Termini. There's a big Salesian Sacred Heart uh, church there. And he toured France and Europe, getting well, mainly France and Italy, collecting money when his health was in a terrible state. And he had to do the same uh, with the, uh, the building of uh, the Mary Hadler Christians Church in Turin. But he did it, even though he started off without a penny. Uh, he has left us this extraordinary gift and this extraordinary church. Uh, so that's a little bit about Mary Amber Christens. Perfect. Well, with that, I'm afraid we'll have to bring this section to a close. John? Thanks a lot for that, Shane. So just before we go for our second piece of music, Father, you got a, a prayer there you'd like to share with us, John Muscoe, prayer, please? Yeah, this prayer, it was uh, written first together by a Salesian in Dublin called Father Hugh O'Donnell, and it's a prayer especially for the centenary year uh, for the Salesians in Ireland. Loving Father, 
whether we look back in gratitude for how you have walked by our side or forward into how you will lead and comfort us, we know we are your beloved children. We thank you for Don Bosco, an educator filled with a spirit of fire and gentleness who continues to inspire us with confidence in ourselves and in our ability to act justly, to love tenderly and walk respectfully on the earth. As we celebrate the promise of the Salesian story, may we live in communion with all our sisters and brothers, together with Don Bosco and with Mary, the mother of his dream. We pray in the name of Jesus, who shows us the way. Amen. Amen. Thanks for that, Father Dan. So now we go for a second piece of music, and a piece of music we got, um, Father, it's the song of for John Bosco, titled Here's a Man. Here's a man, and the words of that were also written by Father Hugh O'Donnell, and I think it's it's Paddy O'Neill that's singing it. That's right. And they're both singing it together. It's a it's a real treat, but uh, Paddy does great justice to it. Let's hear this. Okay. This is a great Salesian song, written by a great Salesian, Father Hugh O'Donnell. He was a great friend of mine and he's now living up in Sean McDermott Street in Dublin running another Salesian operation. This uh, song encapsulates the whole flavour of what Don Bosco was about and it's written really well and you'll hear all about Don Bosco over three verses. Here's a man Stars above our heads seem brighter than the day. He offered hope. He made a family of the young by living free, spending night and day, giving life away, finding hearts. Ready to respond And so we keep the memory of his life Memory filled with joy and goodness Reaching out to everyone Calling us to love Bringing us to God with a message for the world Here is a man Who in his day Brought the sun to shine upon The orphan and the stray His was a home His welcome more than you could say by living freely, spending night and day, giving life away, finding hearts ready to respond. And so we keep the memory of his life, 
joy and goodness Reaching out to everyone Calling us to love Bringing us to God With a message for the world Here is a man Who came to say Love of God and brotherhood would brighten every day. Love was his plan, the laughter shining in his eyes, his living free, spending night and day, giving life away, finding hearts ready to respond and so we keep the memory of his life memory filled with joy and goodness reaching out to everyone calling us to love bringing us to God with a message for the world Bringing us to God With a message for the world So welcome back again to the third part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. So I'll join my Shane Ambrose under the Skype line. And thank you again, Father Dan, uh, for sharing, for sharing that, those, that, those lovely bits of information around the solutions. And again, our congratulations and prayers to all those solutions who work so hard over the years, especially those who have worked here in Ireland. Thank you so much. However, this is the most important part of the programme, where, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. And before uh, we read the Sunday Gospel, there is a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture. I'll pray that this morning. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wonder, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So now we come to the Gospel for today, the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time, taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 20, verse 27 to 38, and we'll invite Father Dan to read that for us this morning. Thanks, Father Dan. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, approached Jesus and put this question to him. Master, we have it from Moses in writing that if a man marries, uh, if a man's married brother dies childless, the man must marry the widow to raise up children for his brother. Well then, there are seven brothers. The first, having married a wife, died childless. The second and then the third married the widow. And the same with all seven. They died leaving no children. Finally, the woman herself died. Now, at the resurrection, to which of them will she be wife, 
since she had been married to all seven. Jesus replied, The children of this world take wives and husbands, but those who judge worthy of a place in the other world and in the resurrection from the dead do not marry, because they can no longer die, for they are the same as the angels, and being children of the resurrection, they are sons of God. And Moses himself implies that the dead rise again in the passage about the bush where he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. Now he is God, not of the dead, but of the living. For to him all men are in fact alive. Thanks for that, Father Dan. So that's the Gospel for today, the, the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. This stage, we usually uh, try to reflect uh, on the Word of God as to what it, what the Spirit might have given to all of us. And Father Dan, can I ask yourself maybe a thought you might have got from reading that Gospel this morning? Yeah, um, we see that the Sadducees are once again in conflict with Jesus, and uh, uh, they are so many times. And it's, as are the Pharisees as well, and it's one of those questions that always intrigues me because they were in the presence of Jesus, uh, and Jesus was always in love. He wasn't just just present talking to them, but his physical presence was a presence of love as well. Yet somehow they were resistant. They were not able to accept him. And so as you could say that it's true of all of us. There is a deep resistance uh, within all of us to receive the word of God. And uh, as we become aware of that, I think we realize that we need God's power within us to uh, guide us, to reflect, to guide us to convert and to change. So perhaps maybe one of the thoughts we could take from it would be that we pray for that grace to be able to open our hearts and give God permission to come in and to shape us so that we can be truly become uh, his sons and daughters. Thanks for that, Father Dan. Hopeful words there. Shane, do you want to share a thought before we finish up the programme? Yeah, I suppose in terms of in terms of the gospel uh, this week, John, I suppose the thing that struck me about it is that second part where Jesus' Jesus's response to the Sadducees. And I suppose in one sense, you'd have to have a degree of historical sympathy for the Sadducees because they were very much associated with the practice of the Jewish faith that was tied up with the temple. So when the temple was destroyed, they pretty much lost their place in history. But in terms of what Jesus said... Uh, in this Sunday's Gospel, I think it's very appropriate, given the month that we're in, in terms of November being the month of the dead and the month of the holy souls. And it's just Jesus himself is saying to us here that the resurrection is something that will happen for those who God has loved. And I think it's a very consoling um, message this Sunday for those of us that are listening to it, because sometimes when you're talking to people and particularly people that are struggling or don't have faith and don't accept that kind of thing or take a very nihilistic approach to life, it's a very bleak existence. They're, they're taking it as when you're dead, you're dead. And I'm kind of going, well, no, actually, as Christians, that's that's very, uh, that's not what we say. You know, it's not what we believe. And Jesus kind of supports us in that today in terms of what he says in this Sunday's Gospel. So for me, I actually found this, the Sunday Gospel this week, it was, it was a hopeful Gospel for the month that we have. Shane, thank you very much for that. We've just got time just for one last comment for myself and, and the gospel accl- acclamation for this week. And that says to us, stay awake, praying at all times, for the strength to stand with confidence before the Son of Man. 
So that about brings us to the end of the programme again for this Sunday. Um, thanks again, Father Dan, for, for coming in, Shane, and travelling to the Come and See studio here in Ada. It might be your first time. Maybe you might stay with us again. Maybe some other time okay. you might come back Please and God. share with us. Please, God. Thanks. Yeah. And again, Shane, thanks a lot for, for sharing with us this morning. Thanks, John. So we'll go out with our final piece of music. Again, this one I picked up actually from one of your solution sites somewhere out there in Australia, I think it is. And this one, it's a beautiful piece of music. It's entitled Give Me This Water, and it's by Sister Stella Lamb and Stuart Fortado. Right, Australian names. Anyway, thank you very much for joining us, listeners out there. We'll hope you'll join us again next week, where we'll try and do it all again. In the meantime, God bless you all now. Bye. As Jesus journeyed through this Samaritan town Tired and thirsty by the well he sat down Came a woman to draw water And outcast and grieving To satisfy her daily needing Will you give me a drink Was his simple request Breaking down the walls of hate How come you are a Jew? Ask me for a drink A woman, an outcast Whose life is on the brink If you knew the gift of God And who is it who asks You would ask for living water Willing up to eternal life For anyone who drinks this water Again. Give me this water so I won't thirst again. Oh, come here to this well and endure the pain. I see you are a prophet and you know who I am. Give me this living water so I never thirst again. Oh, give me this water. Come and see the one who told me everything.